But once you've gone through it a couple of times and you get used to and more comfortable with that risk and you know how to respond in real time to what's happening, then you're not as afraid of doing them. And I think that's probably just my guess on why people don't do as many big value ads because they say they're risky. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. My name is Theo Hicks, and today we'll be speaking with Joseph Bermonte. Joseph, how are you doing today? Hey, man. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well, too. Thanks for asking, and thanks for joining us on the show today. A little bit about Joseph. He's the co-founder and CEO of TriArc Real Estate Partners, Purchased his first multifamily property in the U.S. in 2011, sight unseen. Current portfolio consists of 1,100 units, and they focus on increasing net operating income by over 80% on average within 48 months post-acquisition. He is based in Houston, Texas, and you can say hi to him at Triarc, R-E-P, that's T-R-I-A-R-C-R-E-P.com. So Joseph, do you mind telling us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on today? Sure. So I'm an engineer by trade. Spent the first five years of my career with Exxon, 
That's why I was overseas when I bought that first property. I've lived in some pretty cool places. I was in Australia for a year and then Papua New Guinea for two years. I was working on a $22 billion project of which a billion was cost that I was managing directly and got into the industry in 2011, purchased that first property sight unseen. Originally was trying to buy 80 foreclosed houses. And then uh, after all these banks kept telling me no, they finally said, just go buy an 80 unit apartment complex. But I couldn't afford an 80 unit apartment complex, but I could afford a 26. So that's kind of how I jumped into the industry with the first little 26 unit property. And Almost went bankrupt on that first deal and turned the whole thing around by performing a 30000 per door renovation, which was really nuts considering, one, that was my first deal, and two, it's a large rehab. In general, most people don't even do those big of rehabs, let alone on their first deal, and turned the whole thing around, made a 207% return on the refi, still own it today. We're actually talking with architects right now, getting ready to scrape it and redevelop it to mid-rise. So that property is going to be paying us three and four times what we made on it. So that was the start. And then through that, I met my current two partners. We formed Triarch Real Estate Partners, originally kind of the foundation of the company back in 2013, but then rebranded in 2016 as Triarch. And our MO has just been these big value adds. Started with the first one at 30,000, then did 22 and 18 and we're currently doing a 37,000 per door renovation over 220 units. So we really kind of mastered that. And that's how we were able to produce such big NOI growth in the first 48 months, like you quoted, because we're doing these big rehabs on our deals. We're not just doing base hits because that's just one, that was what was available. You guys know back in 2012 and 13, there was a lot of property to renovate. Now it's harder and harder to find those deals People know how to resurface and whatnot by now. So it's very rare you're going to find something that hasn't been through at least one or if not two renovations by the time you're getting it. So we've kind of transitioned more into the lower value add, and which is fine. If you're really good at doing big rehabs, you're going to be even better at doing smaller rehabs. So from there, we further expanded in 2016 into new development. So I saw that the spread between new construction and renovated assets was shrinking. And it was only a matter of time before new development was going to make more sense than buying existing and renovating. So we started exploring that area and we've got our first 500 unit two-phase project garden style we're breaking ground on later this year. And then we've also got two other new developments that are in the pre-planning phase. They're going to be mid-rises. One's nine stories, the other's 12 stories, class A plus properties. So it's been interesting. New development's certainly completely different than acquisition in that there's really no roadmap for it. It's very much kind of an open book. It's hard to find mentors and whatnot for it. And we've had to figure a lot of this stuff out on our own. But finally, three, four years into it, we've really gotten the right people around us who've done this before and helped us. And that's what really real estate in general is all about. It's all about the network, having good people around you who've been through different components of whatever you're trying to do and forming teams. And that's how really we formed our company. I'm a co-founder. I'm one of three. And that's been really advantageous for us because it gives investors and lenders a lot of confidence knowing that between the three of us, we have owned or operated over 43,000 units and 1.7 billion in assets in the last 30 years. So we have that history behind us 
so that when we're going forward, while our company is still growing, we do have quite a deep bench of experience. Thanks for sharing your entire story there. I want to dive in and unpack a few though. So one thing that you said, the first thing you said that piqued my interest is that on that first deal you brought sight unseen was a 26 unit property that you did the 30K per door renovation and then that resulted in a 207% return on the refinance. That was the first deal, right? So you said that you did the 30K renovations and then now you're looking to go back and put in even more money into that deal to bring it up to another level. So do you mind just walking us through? So was the original business plan to take it from a C to a B and now you're going from a B to an A? Did you know going in that that is what you were going to do or that's something that kind of evolved later on based off of the market that the deal was in? So maybe kind of just walk us through that thought process a little bit. Sure. So the original plan, it left a lot to be desired. It really was no plan. This was my first deal. The broker had said, it needs 3000 per door in renovation. So that's what we budgeted for. And then we get into the deal and it's a really long story, but just keep it short. Within the first six months of owning it, our property had gotten down to 85% occupied. We had four units down for renovation that we had taken sheetrock down on. We were renovating, we were installing central ACs. And then as part of the permitting process for that, we had to do an environmental because we were idiots and we didn't do one on the closing like every other one of your listeners knows to do. And of course, it came back hot for asbestos. So we're six months in, four units down. We have asbestos. We have fraudulent insurance. The broker that sold us insurance, well, he sold us insurance from a company that was a fraud. So we don't have insurance. We're going into hurricane season. And then I lose my job at Exxon on top of all that. So it was really a, a very dire situation I was in. And I joined a local real estate group because that's what you did back in 2012. There were no podcasts or anything like that. And all the mentors of that group were like, you're screwed. Sell the property, take a loss, lesson learned, don't do that again. But that didn't really sit well with me for a couple of reasons. One, I would have lost basically five years of my life at Exxon and that would have not been good. I would have basically done all that work for nothing. And then two, I would have had a negative track record to go and raise money for so that would have basically meant I had no career in multifamily either. So that was also not good. So I rolled the dice on that first one. Me and my business partner who I'd met out of that group, she had done large renovations before for other owners. She was a property manager. And she said, look, you're in a great location. That was the one thing that I did right Two, actually. The location and we knew it needed new roofs because that's what the PCA said. So those are the only two things I give us credit for. But location is everything. Everybody knows the real estate motto, location, location, location. So we were in a prime location in Houston and we're surrounded by these million dollar homes. So we did this massive renovation, went all in. I cashed out my 401k, took the penalty all in. I stayed unemployed for six months and just focused on the real estate, took a bunch of courses and we executed this rehab and it was the craziest mode of my life because our rehab was $700,000. The purchase price was 650. So it was just insane to think of you're doing a rehab that's greater than the purchase price of this property. And then we had to vacate the whole property down to zero because it's really not a good look to have guys in hazmat suits walking around while you're doing an asbestos abatement with residents on site. You're just asking for a lawsuit. So we vacated the property, we did the abatement, came in behind him. We did the big renovation, then leased it all up. And that was probably the most stressful nine months of my life. And it worked. 
We doubled the rents. We leased it up, stabilized it, refinanced it. And it's just an amazing feeling on that first refi when you get that money back because until you've actually done it, it's all just stories and theories mm -hmm. and whatnot for you. And when it was proof positive for me, that's when I knew I had a new career interest and that was multifamily. And so that was our first deal. Yeah. And then that was supposed to be the end of it. The plan was hold it and maybe sell to a developer. That was our thinking in 2014 because we knew we were on prime real estate. And then in 2016, 2017, we started developing the skills to be developers. And now here we are in 2020, we're working with some of the top architects in town to scrape our entire complex. So just bulldoze the whole thing and come up with a mid-rise design and raise all new equity for it, et cetera, and then expand it to include not only our site, but the neighboring sites around us on our block, we're going to do a JV with them to all partner together and do this mid-rise construction. Hmm. I'm really glad that you shared that six to nine months journey that you went through. And just one last follow-up question on that deal that I want to transition to. The other thing we talked about, which is increasing net operating income by over 80%. So it was a $700,000 rehab. All that came out of your pocket? It was me and one other partner. So we were 50-50 partners on the deal and we financed the rehab. So we had a bridge loan. Okay, so you cashed out your 401k and used that as a down payment for a bridge loan exactly. to fund the rehab? Okay. Exactly. The first time I didn't though, the first time I was paying cash for the rehab because I didn't know any better. My education yeah. in real estate at that time was I read about six books on multifamily and some of the good ones, you know, David Lindahl is always on your list, Multifamily Millions. That was one of the books I read and a couple others. And they give you this 30,000 foot level understanding of the industry, but it's a completely different ball game when you're on the field and you're out there executing in your specific market. Perfect. Okay. So let's transition into your bread and butter business plan now, which is increasing the net operating income by over 80% on average within 48 months. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't just pick any deal to do this on. So obviously the front end is making sure you're selecting the right deal. So you already mentioned location. So we don't need to talk about that again. Is there anything else that you have, like what's your checklist when you're looking at a deal or a piece of land so that you know going in that you're going to be able to increase the net operating income by high double digits? For us, we're really just focused on doubling our investors' money over five years. We keep it simple. We target a high single digits cash on cash and double their money in five years. And for the most part, we've been very successful at that. And now part of the reason we're at 80% is because we've had some really big deals, right? We've had about three or four big deals that have really skewed those results. We just closed on a 2015 construction about a year ago, and it's kind of a more of a base hit sort of deal. We're exiting right at about a 2X multiple, but we're not increasing the NOI by 80%. And also part of that, just to be honest, is because I was buying smaller deals. So when you're buying smaller deals in the beginning, it's very easy to magnify and grow that NOI by a very large number because that's just how the math works. It's the percentage and the denominator factor. So as I was buying these large deals, like that first deal we did, I think we increased the NOI by 400%. It was something stupid because it was 26 units and the guy was really mismanaging it really badly. And we more than doubled the rent. So that had just a stupendous growth to the NOI there. But then, of course, eventually what happens on all value adds is eventually the, the taxes catch up with you, which we're just now, six years later, dealing with that effect. But to your point, though, we're not targeting 
80% NOI growth. It's just something that happened on its own because we okay. have to do a lot of big deals. Our targets for deals are high teens, IRR, 2X multiple, and high single digits, cash on cash, five-year holds. Perfect. Basically, what you're doing is you're finding these deals, you're putting them through your underwriting model, and you're finding what the purchase price is that results in that return. And then if the purchase price makes sense, you offer it. If not, you pass. Yeah. And I would say the only difference between us in regards to why we've had so many big home runs is because we've positioned ourselves in our market as the guys that buy the big, hairy deals. So the one we're doing right now, which is 37000 per door across 220 units, on the rehab, that came straight to us. We were the first people to see that deal because the brokers already know that we do these deals. And if anybody's going to do a big, hairy lift like that, we would be the ones to do it. This is kind of going back to your first deal, or this could be just in general. How do you find the right contractor for these $30,000 plus per door renovations? Well, I'd say we're a bit unique in that we've got construction in-house. That's as of January of this year. But we've been through two or three GCs and Unfortunately, it's a lot of recommendations, a lot of tried and tested, and just going through the motions. So you've got to hire these guys, try them out, and really hold their feet to the fire on deals. But my background's with Exxon, with project management. So we kind of had a little bit of a leg up on managing GCs and contractors because that's what I did for a living for five years. So for us going into these deals, you've got a big primary GC, then you might have a couple other subs below doing other stuff that you feel like you can handle yourself and deal directly and you don't want to deal with their markup. So we're going to have a detailed contract for the primary contractor, whereas the other guys might just be a PO or something like that. Yeah. So it's really all about what you put up in the contract, setting expectations, putting a schedule, putting good terms in, and developing a relationship with GCs. So we've been through, as I mentioned, I think our current GC is about our third GC and they don't all work out. My first two, they're great people and nothing nothing against them, but they just have different price points, different quality levels. And it's not necessarily the GC. And I think what people need to understand about a GC is they're more of staff contractors than construction guys because all they're really doing is they're managing all the subcontractors. They're not physically doing the work. Some of them might have their own crews, but they're supplementing their crews depending on the size of the project with additional subcontractors. So if you're getting bad work on a deal, it may not be the GC's fault. It may just be that the sub that he hired did a bad job. Okay, really quickly, when did you start raising money for deals? Was it after that first 26-unit deal? Yeah, after that first 26-unit deal, I had a pretty solid track record at that time. I was one for one, and my first at-bat was a home run at the ending, right? I mean, during the play, it looked like I was about to fall on my face pretty badly. But after that first deal is when I really started raising capital quite heavily and started targeting these big value adds. And the other thing I would say, just a side note, is that doing a big value add, once you've done one, especially on my first one, very few things scare you. And so I think a lot of what the hesitation is for people to do value adds is that it's scary, right? There's a lot of unknowns, a lot of risk, a lot of things can happen. But once you've gone through it a couple of times and you get used to and more comfortable with that risk and you know how to respond in real time to what's happening, then you're not as afraid of doing them. And I think that's probably just my guess on why people don't do as many big value adds because they say they're risky, but the reality is in some ways, this big rehab we're doing is actually less risky than a smaller rehab because we've got so much money behind us on the rehab that 
any little nuanced things that we discover have very little impact to us because of how much weight or how much money we're spending on a per unit basis, that it's easily absorbed by the GC. Okay, Joseph, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best advice would be patience. I think there's so many people who want this really quickly. They want to grow and we're only just over a thousand units, 1100 units, which isn't really that big, to be honest. There's some guys with these monster portfolios and we're kind of more of a small to medium guy, to be honest, but that's okay. We're going at our own pace and we're doing deals that we feel comfortable with. And I feel like a lot of people, they're rushing, right? They're trying to get in quick and build these massive portfolios quickly. And the danger is if you're a syndicator trying to do that, that you're growing and learning along the way. So if you quickly buy a bunch of deals when you're still learning, then there's a risk that you're going to buy a bunch of deals and make the same mistake on those same several deals versus just the progressive nature and maturing of you as an investor by taking your time that if you bought those same deals over a five-year period, by the time year five comes around, you're buying that last deal your underwriting and your execution on that deal is going to be significantly better than it is on the first deal. So I think that's the huge risk that people run into. And if you're a passive and you're doing the same thing, trying to grow very quickly and deploy a whole bunch of capital, I think you run the risk of one, picking bad deals to go into, and two, you miss some market cycles. I think one of the benefits that people have is by, like right now, if you had dumped all your money last year, you would have been in a really bad spot versus if you had paced yourself and done your investments over a couple year timeline, then you would have been taking advantage of potentially some really good deals are about to hit the market. Perfect. Okay. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right. First, a quick word from our sponsor. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Ready to enter the minds of successful entrepreneurs and millionaires? Are you ready to excel in your entrepreneurial and investing journey? The new podcast, Before the Millions, studies phenomenal entrepreneurs and their path to millions. Journey through exclusive interviews, giving you all the secrets to mimic their successes. Listen and subscribe to Before the Millions podcast at BeforeTheMillions.com. That's BeforeTheMillions.com. Okay, Joseph, what is the best ever book you've recently read? The best ever book I'm actually currently reading is a book called Raising the Bar by Gerald Hines. Hines Development is one of the top developers in the country. Gerald Hines is 95 years old. He started the company himself back in the 50s, and he's based here in Houston. His office is up in Williams Tower, which is right next to my house, and I hope to one day get him to sign my book. But it's just really inspiring to see his whole biography and his story and how he started and growing his company, which has $100 billion AUM, just absolutely incredible. And he's strictly done development his whole life. And he's an engineer like myself, so I gravitate towards that side of it as well. But it's just been a really cool book to read because I like to read books about great people who've done great things in my industry. What is the best ever way you like to give back? So I'm a member of Rotary. It's a business charity group. It's one of the oldest charities, I believe, or 
it has some significance in regards to that factor. It's been around for a while, but I like Rotary because it allows me to give back in a variety of ways, both with my money and with my time. And the cause that goes back is always a different cause. We do a lot with housing, but we also do a lot with schools and helping kids and various other initiatives. It's great. I'm a busy person and I don't necessarily have time to do a lot of the research. So Rotary does a great job of vetting a lot of the charities beforehand, allowing us to give and know that it's going to a good cause. And then also, like I said, get involved with our time and really kind of get hands on, which is really something special. And then lastly, what is the best ever place to reach you? The best ever place to reach me would be on LinkedIn. I'm on there. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. The other way is just send an email to info at triarchrep.com and it would eventually get its way to me. But LinkedIn, if you want to get directly in touch with me, is the best way. And if they do reach out to me on LinkedIn, let me know that you heard me on this show and I'll be glad to hear from you. Perfect, Joseph. I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing your best ever advice. But I think it's going to resonate with people the most is you telling a story about buying your first property site unseen. So we bought that 26 unit building the original plan was like as you guys said there really wasn't a plan at first you're just following yeah. what the broker said which is 3k per unit in renovations and then six months in you had four units down that you're renovating and found asbestos once you did an environmental on it and then you had some fraudulent insurance and on top of that you had lost your job so yeah. you joined a local real estate group and it sounds like people there were telling you to just sell the property and take a loss but you realize that not only would you have lost all the money you had saved up from your job, but you'd have had that negative track record. You'd have been 0 for 1 and would have had a hard time raising money after that. So you met someone at that actual meetup who ended up being your business partner who specialized in those large renovations and told you that you had a great location and that you could do a large rehab project to turn the property around. So you cashed out your 401k, got a bridge loan, and did the $700,000 rehab even though the purchase price was six fifty, you vacated the entire property, and after the rehab, you were able to double those rents and refinance to pull some money out. And then you also mentioned what sparked this whole conversation that now the plan is to actually knock that entire thing down <laughs> and develop a brand new property because of the location. So I really appreciate you sharing that story. And then you also mentioned a few things about how you're identifying deals. You gave us your return targets, and that you really just position yourself in the market as being the team that does these big deals. And so brokers actually bring these deals to you, which is very beneficial. You gave us some tips on finding the right contractors. Obviously you're doing it in-house now, but really just comes down to just getting contractors through recommendations and just testing them out, holding their feet to the fire, making sure you're setting proper expectations with the contract and setting a schedule. But at the end of the day, it's really just trying it and seeing how they do. And you mentioned how you've gone through a few contractors. And then lastly, you gave your best ever advice, which I really like was just to be patient. So again, Joseph, really appreciate you coming on the show. Best of listeners as always. Thanks for listening. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Theo.